When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 206. We're recording on Sunday, April 23rd. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, here with Jeff O'Neill. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Easy like Sunday morning. Rebecca. It is. It's lovely. It's a, it's a rare Sunday morning. We actually are rarer to do weekend mornings than like late at night. Yeah, anymore. and our uh, our after darks sort of came to an end when you moved to a coast on which yeah. it's still light when it's dark here. <laughs> right? Yeah, because like at nine o'clock my time, you're like it's like midnight for you because mm-hmm. that's how time zones work. Newsflash for all of yeah. you who've been wondering, low these many years, what's the deal? So what's the deal with time zones? Oh, um, no. oh, yeah, no. unfortunately, that's uh, that's what's going yeah, on. Nobody so, wants me to try to podcast at midnight. Not a good plan. I'm not sure everyone would agree with that, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, So we got quite a bit of news this week uh, coming around. New book news. We were talking in the pre-show that about the TV. I think we guess we talked about Handmaid's Tale coming to Hulu, Mm -hmm. which comes out this week as you're listening to this. And then uh, American Gods follows Hard Upon. Yes. uh, I I don't know what the release date for that is. Do you? Yeah. Oh, and the other one, Henrietta Lacks is on HBO. Yes. I think that releases tonight too. Yes. As well, as or maybe well. last night. I think it's you can watch. It's I don't this... know if they dropped. I don't think they dropped them all at the same time, but they're available if you're an HBO subscriber. Also, um, one of our listeners sent us a hot tip that you can sign up for a free 30-day HBO trial. Mm-hmm. I think you might have to do your credit card and stuff, mm-hmm. but you can cancel it. So if there's a couple of these things you want, well, American Gods of Stars, Handmaid's Tale is Hulu, Handmaid's Tale is Hulu and then. Henrietta Lacks' HBO. See, now, uh-huh. that is not okay. No. That, th- this is unacceptable. We need one. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, this is the TV. Package to rule this is the all. TV dystopia version of the thing we hate about the dedicated readers right. per publisher. Like, this is what it is, right? <laughs> yep. All these separate platforms with all their original content. I mean, it's kind of great, like, that the original content is good, which is a thing that we yep. haven't seen, like, you know, Amazon has rolled out some original stuff like just for Kindle, but it hasn't nothing's taken off the way that like HBO exclusives have or Hulu exclusives. But it's hard. Like I think we've I've lamented if we're just gonna talk about TV for a minute, like yeah. I've lamented we we have not cut our cable in my house because of Bob's baseball feelings primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the need for an MLB package that allows us to watch St. Louis Cardinals in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, but I want like my HBO and my Showtime series and Amazon yep. and Netflix. And I like Hulu might finally break me with this Handmaid's Tale thing, but it's getting out of hand. <laughs> it's, need- it's it's a little con- out of control. Like because we're going to replace basically the, the the dream was you know you cut your cable bill so you're not paying 150 bucks a month and you just pay you know thirty dollars for your internet. But then you got to pay ten dollars. You get ten dollars to death. 
a month, right? Because yeah. if you're doing a bunch of this stuff. Well, there were, Not to mention Netflix and Amazon. Yeah. What was it? Last year, maybe two years ago, a bunch of web publications got together to do kind of a membership yes. thing where if you yeah, paid. Yeah, the Toast and something else. Yeah, I remember the Toast. If you did like a subscription that got you special <laughs> access to exclusives from a bunch of the publications, mm-hmm. you could get think you could get them all together like it was a bundle that they made themselves and i understand the business reasons that like netflix and amazon and hulu aren't all working together to make yes. that possible but as a consumer i would like that uh, like what can place. the center hold with this like how long can we I don't do they i mean do they do they really think that you know dopes like us and let's be honest that's what we're talking about like people I, with some disposable income are going to sign up for seven of these a month I like think as, it's working so far well is it do you have stars in hulu uh, and Amazon Prime and Netflix and Showtime and HBO. Well, I mean, I guess if you have a proper cable yeah, package. You yeah, the it. HBO and the Showtime are in the cable package. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Stars is in it or not. I'll have to go look. But I mean, yeah, it's there is a breaking point, right? Like you can't get all of it. Like I'm not going to get a Hulu subscription just to watch The Handmaid's Tale. I'm going to get excited that my friend is coming to visit this week who will share her Hulu password with me. Yeah, I guess that's the way. I mean, the other way to do it is just be patient. Right. And then because, you know, we're the we're the dinosaurs that still have Netflix DVD package for kids. Oh. Stuff and, well, we don't get to the theater. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, stuff doesn't stand. So it's a pretty good deal because like for an extra five bucks a month over streaming, you get a couple DVDs out at a time, uh, which you can turn over pretty quick, you know, if mm-hmm. you're in the mood. Uh, so if I'm just patient, all this stuff will be out on DVD. But I just have to wait a year. Right. It which, just depends on how urgent. That's all right. That's all right. Well, welcome to our TV podcast. Uh, <laughs> Let's do a bit about Silicon Valley now. Oh, yeah. Right. So tonight, which is because uh, that. Yeah, because we don't have like a proper like premium cable, but we do HBO Go, which is like $14.99 a month. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, all right. Well, why don't you tell us about a sponsor? All Let's right. Pay the bills so that we can pay ourselves to like get all. So we can these, keep uh, watching all this TV. Keep, keep watching all prestige television. Uh, our first sponsor this week is Saint Death. It's by Marcus Sedgwick. This is a provocative tour de force. Um, Marcus Sedgwick is a three-time Prince Award honoree. This is set on the outskirts of Juarez. It's about Arturo. He is scraping together a living, working odd jobs, and staying out of sight. But his friend Faustino is in trouble. He's stolen money from the narcos to smuggle his girlfriend and her baby into the U.S. and needs Arturo's help to get it back. To help his friend, Arturo must face the remorseless world of drug and human traffickers that surrounds him and contend with a murky past. Uh, This is a thrilling novel. Again, Marcus Sedgwick is an uh, award-winning author. It's propulsive, compelling, unsparingly set in the grimly violent world of the human and drug trade on the U.S.-Mexican border. It'll make you think about timely topics and the relentless economic and social inequalities that haunt the border between Mexico and its rich northern neighbors. But this is also crafted with poetry and cinematic pace, and it's a young adult novel. Um, They run fierce reads, right? Uh, And yeah, so Saint Death by Marcus Sedgwick. Sounds like a gritty uh, young adult novel. We're not getting many of those that I'm aware of these days, so it should be interesting. Again, um, check out Saint Death. Marcus Sedgwick is S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. We'll have a link in the show notes, or you can pick it up wherever books are sold. Um, At some point, these are going to stop being news, these new Elizabeth Slander novels, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's not, not quite yet. I guess this is the second the girl, the spider's web. I can't remember exactly the, mm-hmm. the, the, the verbiage, but the new Elizabeth Salander novel, and they're calling it on the cover, uh, Elizabeth Salander novel. So no, we're no longer calling it the millennium series. We're calling it the Elizabeth Salander novel from here to eternity. No more 
shall I refer to it as Millennium Series? <laughs> That's mo- more for me than for anyone else out there. Um, the Girl Who Takes an Eye for an Eye uh, comes out September 12th, also written by David Lagerkranz, who wrote the first uh, posthumous uh, Salander novel. So there you go. It's out. Uh, announced the first printing of 500,000 copies. Mm. So anyway, so anyway, that's, I guess, Elizabeth Salander now, I would say, I wonder, I wonder how much those Bosch novels by Michael Connolly or oh, the Reacher novels, mm-hmm. like, are we up there, uh, you know, on the characters that oh, are in standalone going. series, mm-hmm. is this the best selling one? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, where, where did you think I was going? Uh, if she was like, has Lizbeth ascended to like iconic yeah. star? Well, that, I was going to say that, series, and then yeah. also she's the uh, the the only lady woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder about the sales. Mm-hmm. I want like those the Bosch novels, and especially like the Jack Reacher. There's so yeah. many of those that maybe right in sheer volume they've made up for total sales against the like massive total sales of just four Salander novels. I don't no, know. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying like if a new one in, from each character oh, starring each character mm-hmm. came out on the same day and you track their sales for a year, who comes out Oh, ahead? yeah, Lizbeth's going to win that race, I would think. Do you think so? They're mm-hmm. not, you know, the new Jack Reacher's not selling 500,000 copies. Maybe, in print. maybe. I don't Curious, know. Curious, right? I do remember yeah. like from my bookseller days like a decade ago, but I guess the Jack Reacher fans are probably still as excited as they used to be that like new Jack Reacher day, people mm-hmm. were in the store ready for it on the day of release. Um, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not counting it. I guess any, any series with a finite end, I'm mean, talking, these are the ones that, you know, have been out for a while and it's not part of an ongoing story, you know, or arc, you know, right. uh, because of course, if Harry Potter came out, eight, came out, <laughs> like, that just, that's so I'm throw the, I'm going to try to think, you know, if there was another Hunger Games. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these that are these these iterative. There could be another one anytime, but it's not a hanging thread. There could be 40 more of these. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows how many Jack Reacher novels there are? 5,000? Well, it, it'll be that. interesting to see what happens here with the Lizbeth novels because mm-hmm. there were originally supposed to be 10. And yeah. um, Stieg Larsson had left notes, I believe, for quite a he few did. of them. But you, this, if it if it's going to go, they could run these out into being the Jack Reacher thing. There could be 25 of them someday. Well, there's no intimation from this press release that this has anything to do with Larson's, you know, game plan, yeah. these books. Like, I, I have no idea if Lagerkrantz has seen them or is using them at all. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, The Girl in the Spider's Web was the fourth mm-hmm. one and the first posthumous one. So I guess, I guess what's notable about this one that wouldn't be notable about the next one is the the experiment with having someone else write it worked enough that they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Right. Like that's, I guess that's the the newsworthy piece on top of the, just there's another one. Yeah, that is, it's an interesting piece about it. And it's interesting to me that it's these thriller series that this seems to happen with, like the Bourne series got picked up by a new writer. um, When Mm, James Bond. Yeah. James Bond, James Patterson has other people who write his stories for him. Um, yeah, I guess Jack Reacher is still. That's all. Lee is that Lee Child? Yeah, those are Lee Child. Yes, it is. Um, but there, there's something to be said for these characters that like Lizbeth's uh, was character was written in such a repetitive way that like reviewers got you know had fun sort of poking at like how many microwave yes. pizzas is she going to eat? Billy's how many pizzas? Yes. How many pedantic <laughs> things is the journalist going to say? But there's something to be said for that repeatability and uh, sort of not not tropes necessarily, but like the patterns that are built into these stories that make it possible for a new writer to 
pick them up and move them along. Like it's the character and the world of the story that the readers are interested in, not necessarily the one author who's doing it, which is a special thing that I think genre has going for it that like, you couldn't just have like someone else write a Toni Morrison novel. You know, it's interesting. It's one of those things I think is super interesting about how different stories get told. Well, the character, I guess, is a little more iterable than the, the style, right? Like that's the same reasoning of different people write Wolverine over 40 years in comic books or something like professor X or anything else like that. It's like somehow the character is more transportable than the whole world and style. Um, you know, you know, I just realized what I want now that they said comic books, you know what I want now? I want like, an Avengers book, but of like all of these canonical detectives in the same book working, oh, you know, like a, about, where, yeah, you get Solander like next to, it's like the expendables, but for a detective, you know, uh, former, uh, police officer with a heart of gold. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You could, you could get, you could get Reacher, you get Bourne, you get Solander, mm-hmm. get easy Rollins, you know, oh, throw him yes. in the mix. Easy. So Rollins, we're all, that would be so great. yeah, you get, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cormor and strike. From mm-hmm. the the Galbraith stuff, like so Easy anyway. Rollins and Lizbeth Salander like sitting at the I'm bar in. shooting yeah, whiskey like together. Yes, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in for that. So uh, anyway, there's so now we're off just in complete fantasy land. <laughs> Sunday morning. But I'm reading this. I'm reading this. No doubt. No doubt. Oh yeah, you're into these. I remember. Yeah, I mean, as I think I've said before, someone. Oh, it was uh, an Ask Us Anything show. The 200. You know, what's mm-hmm. your guilty pleasure reason neither you nor i subscribe to that particular uh you know way of thinking about books but there there is a place for uh in my in my reading life there's a place for fun mm-hmm. you know more mm-hmm. and this is that's where i put that yeah, um, yeah also i have to say the Lagercrans is not as sinisterly grimly violent and sadistic <laughs> as, as the original Larson books is not quite it's still pretty rough but mm-hmm. not as bad as yeah that, those yeah girl Oof. with dragon tattoo is hard Ooh, yeah yeah I'm doing right, some fun go, yeah I was oh, saying, go ahead. I'm, I'm into the fun reading and I just realized it's only five more months until the new Dan Brown <laughs> Becca I was trying to forget because it's it like too- wait, it's like when you're a kid waiting for Christmas. Like if you don't pay attention to it, like six weeks can just rip off. Like I haven't even thought about how long it is till Christmas, and already it's sooner. Is it too soon to make a paper chain or too far out? I guess. Oh, that's to be a long paper chain. To be a long true. paper. Chain. I can put well, a different. You know, like, it should be a paper equation. chain that each have little little like um, riddles about Italian uh, painting on it. Yeah. That's what it should be. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> let's do another. We got a couple small things. Yeah. There's a lot of small, but mm-hmm. like weirdly fascinating yeah. things here. This is, comes from Atlas Obscura, which is a really good follow. They have a lot of bookish stuff on there, but if you haven't found Atlas Obscura, it's a good follow. Um, interesting cultural things, travel, whatever. But this is about, and I'm going to butcher the dude's name, um, Amza al Mataya. And he is in Amman, Jordan, and he's a bookshop owner. He's 36. But he has a, a little bookshop that's the size of one room. And it has like – they look like a whole bunch of magazines mm-hmm. and paperbacks. It's just floor to ceiling. And basically he keeps his store open 24-7. Who He inherited that father from his father who moved the family bookstore from Jerusalem to Amman before the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. Um, he has a couple other employees that will come and spell him. But he's mostly – he kind of lives in there. And he says – and I love this. He thinks of it as an emergency room – for the mind. Yes. Uh, and like people will come in and this one graphic designer, Hussein Alazat said, I came in here in the, for the afternoon one time and I stayed for two days <laughs> just to kind of hide out. And 
you know, he has about 2,000 volumes, um, and there's a nearby warehouse, uh, that's a Freudian slip, uh, nearby warehouse with 10,000 additional volumes, um, make sales by matching people with book owners, book, mm-hmm. book owners around Amman. So if he doesn't have something and he knows someone who does have it, even if they're not a bookseller, he'll say, you know, go down and he's down the way. He's got one of those. You might like that. That's great. Um, yeah, actually this bookshop, if you count family ownership actually goes back to 1890 when his great grandfather Salman, uh, first opened it. Uh, and it was known as Al treasury. So all the prices are negotiable. Book. He has a generous loan policy and there's a book exchange program where you can swap any book you bring in for one that's in the store. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. one and of those said, like true spirit of loving books things. Yeah, no doubt. It, it says, you know, the, the nice anecdote here, just, I think you and I are good about thinking about people's different reading experiences in America, you mm-hmm. know, different kinds of readers that are but we don't know just because who we are, are we who are about how people read books around the world. And it's an unbelievable reminder mm-hmm. how different um, things are, how lucky I am for, for example. But just also like he, sh- uh, he was showing the reporter a children's book in Arabic about the Wright brothers. Wow. Like, I mean, it's just so amazing. Like that stuff is all around the world and it makes sense, but mm-hmm. not until you actually, not until I see specific examples of how this, how books are read and consumed and, all around the world. It's it's an amazing, an amazing story. And so it's worth a full read. It is. I, I and, and near the bottom, there's a note that he um, is in poor health and has made some mm-hmm. investments that have made the future of the store precarious. Um, so he's been scaling back public book fairs and other projects, but a few dedicated customers have started an initiative to save the store and they've raised thousands of dollars already, but uh, he's still unsure if he's going to be able to stay open. So if you want to check this out and do some global book citizenry oh, stuff. It, it's, 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 it's only 15 hours left. I'm looking oh. at it right now. So they're not going to catch it, but they met their goal. They okay, made good. 18 grand. So well, there um, was a fundraising enough. campaign and it was successful. Congratulations. <laughs> Real time follow up. Uh, follow up from the future. Yeah. And there's a nice video. It's just an amazing, uh, amazing little story uh, for you there. So yeah, that, that is speaking of weird stories, awesome. why don't you take this one? <laughs> oh you dropped this one. This was a headline that came across my uh, Twitter stream a week or so ago. And I was like, this can't be real. Uh, the insane clown posse are being sued for plagiarizing a poem from, wait for it, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Not only the first, it's the second helping of Chicken Soup for the Soul. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even crib from the ridge. Yeah, and there are, what, like 900 helpings of Chicken Soup for the Soul at this point. But they've... Uh, published a poem that originally appeared in a second helping of chicken soup for the soul and claiming it as their own. The video is called violent J's poem. The poem uh, is originally called, but you didn't. Uh, And the copyright lawsuit, which was filed in a district uh, court in Detroit said they had no permission to pretend it was their own. Uh, It was originally published in 1993 and uh, the, ICP released a video, I believe it's on YouTube, um, that contains straight lines from 
this poem, which it's it's a verbatim rendition. And it's like two sentences. It's so Yeah, it's it's, it's so, so cheap and yeah, weird that and, to even do it and then to sue about it is even weirder right, anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh I looked at you and smiled the other day. I thought you'd see me, but you didn't. I said I loved you and waited for what you'd say. I thought you'd hear me, but you didn't. Which I would never in a jillion years, if you had given me these lines, have guessed that these are lines <laughs> that insane clown posse would lift right for something but like i have very many questions so like how did the person who wrote this poem and submitted it to chicken soup for the soul even come across the icp video containing his lyrics like does he have a google alert on this poem from 1993 what kind of damages is he seeking the uh. The video had had like 24,000 views at the time that this story was posted a few weeks ago. Um, and we don't have any. So, and which is like 20 bucks yeah. in YouTube. Yeah. Like right. Money. It's like $20 <laughs> in YouTube views. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know if you get paid for submissions that appear in Chicken Soup for the Soul or if it's like you get paid in the warm feelings that you receive when Chicken Soup for the Soul publishes the poem you wrote. And how at your did kitchen they table. find it? Yeah. How did this dude find it? I know. This? That's what I want to know. Like, how did he? Oh, how did the ICP guy find this? Well, either. Well, that one, I, I mean, I guess you're just picking up books, but like, how does the guy who yeah, wrote this poem right. in the second helping. Does he have just like Google alerts right, for everything right, right. he's ever like written? How, and if how, it pops up, it seems ins- it seems so and, bizarre. And like how – it's a music video. So how even yeah. would a Google alert have worked? For, I just need to know these things. There's just so many questions it's, here. This is one of the weirder – like it's kind of book adjacent, but it was – this is more <laughs> – just like ha- how like i have yeah. i am not unfamiliar with chicken soup for the soul books and <laughs> like i was once a very earnest 10 year old girl apparently like that's no knock if you're into chicken soup for the soul no um but how like i think they're all reader submissions and there's like a, a hundred or a couple hundred per book. So mm. I don't know if whoever publishes that, I don't know which publisher it is off the top of my head, but like, I don't know if they're paying for all the material that appears in those books or if it really is like the payment that you get for your poem is that it appears in Chicken Soup for the Soul and you get to feel good and proud about that. Uh, but I, how did insane clown posse find this how did the guy Ah. find out that they were using his thing what is he spending in legal fees to chase this? maybe the whole thing's a big con of some kind you know go up a level it's some it's 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 some it's some weird like this is like an insane disinformation campaign i mean i have to tell you i hadn't heard about insane clown posse in probably like eight or nine years until this came up if not longer right or chicken soup for the soul for that matter that's true you know what maybe this is some sort you know like when they stage that thing in Mad Men that they get the two women to fight over a sugarberry ham. Right. Maybe, maybe this is a collusion with uh, ICP's PR people and the chicken soup people. And like, let's do some weird, really crazy <laughs> copyright thing so that jerks like Rebecca and Jeff will talk about on the internet. Well, mission and accomplished. Now, and you got you You win. <laughs> you win. Oh. Anyway. Strange, strange it times. It is really strange. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, I guess I guess I'll cite my earlier rant about uh, copyright mm-hmm. and just sort of insert rant here about how that people can sue because of this is b- 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 banana. Two sentences, 
Two sentences. I don't get it. No, it's it. very weird. Just the and whole also, situation. Of all the sentences to plagiarize, no matter the source, these are about the two most banal lines of poetry about like seeing someone you like that not don't notice you. Like, geez, we, I mean, it would be, <laughs> it would be one thing. It was a particularly nice turn of phrase, but it looks like a, 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 a pretty tepid translation of bad love poetry. Yeah, that, that's what it looks or like. Or like he watched Mr. Cellophane in the Chicago movie a few yeah, too many right. times, you know? <laughs> like, it's really strange. It's just which now I'm, I'll just have that running around in yeah. my head but that's a nice pleasant song about not being noticed i it's just it, very strange um uh, that's well all let's I dig into our bread and butter for us stats right. about reading let's do it this is where this is our this is our home this is our kitchen this is where we we know where all the we are we know where all the pots are at this particular kind of story <laughs> um a new survey to released uh the results were released to coincide with world book night um a survey of 20,000 adults over in the U- uh, 20,000 2000. 2000 adults over in the UK uh, commissioned to mark World Book Night on Sunday the 23rd of April that's today I guess it's World Book Day uh today mm-hmm. not night yet and there's a bunch of stats and some of them are familiar kind of stats and there's a couple that are more there's one in particular that I guess jumped out at me because I hadn't seen a stat quite like this before but before we get to that some of the more familiar things uh nearly 2 thirds of uh, respondents would like to read more, 67%, and nearly half admit that they are too busy to read, which leaves, I guess, 19% that would like to read more and aren't too busy. So they're just, I don't know, they're not living their best life. They're just sitting around. Hulu instead. <laughs> yeah. Whilst the hectic life is cited as the main reason for lack of reading, over a third said they struggled to find the book they really like. Hmm. That's the one that got me. Mm-hmm. And a quarter, 26, revealed that they would read more if they received book recommendations from someone they knew. We got to do better advertising in the UK for Book Riot. I guess so. Like, they need to get booked like, whoa, over there. Because mm-hmm. um, you and I have, historically, I'd say, I think the technical word would be something like um, dumped on <laughs> discovery as a, as a buzzword for publishers, mm-hmm. right? And now let's take for a moment that you know, survey respondents and blah, 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 confounding factors. And who knows if this is a true, you know, are they telling the truth about what, or do they believe this? Whatever. Let's just say for a moment that that 35% is something like a real number. It's Mm -hmm. accurate, if not precise to be pedantic myself, um, which suggests then doesn't it, that discovery of a kind, maybe a different kind of discovery is a problem. Yeah. I, I think these last two stats are connected. The 35% who say they struggled to find a book they really like and the 26% who say they would read more if they received recommendations from someone they knew. Like, actually, I think that this is dump adjacent to what we've talked about in the past that, like, it's not that readers don't know about books that are coming out, but discovery is really often driven by what publishers want people to be reading. And if you're not getting recommendations from someone that you know. And I think what's implied there is that the person knows you and can recommend something that mm-hmm. you will like. Um, you're likely coming across book information that is titles that are marketed to you in mm-hmm. some way. And the titles that are marketed to you are the books that the publishers want you to read, which is very – that's a totally different vector from what you might be right. interested in. Um 
And yeah, I don't know what like how Goodreads, what the Goodreads usership looks like, like in the UK, or I, I mean, I assume like the Amazon UK algorithm works the same way that it does in the US to recommend books to people based on what they've read before. But there is this sense, and I think like this is why Get Booked works so well. This mm-hmm. is why people who love indie bookstores love indie bookstores so much. There is kind of a sense of, and like book club members, that getting recommendations from someone who reads books and knows you has a kind of a magical quality to it that no one has managed to mimic yet with technology. Yeah. And I guess, so if we say that discovery maybe is a problem to some degree, and we just flip the bit a little bit about Mm -hmm. what discovery actually means, it's that, you know, you can walk into a bookstore and look at all the books and you have quote unquote discovered them. Right. But that is this, that is different there. You know, the last I don't know. I guess table to cash register, uh, whatever they, they call it, the last mile in internet delivery, right? Like getting from the, yeah, or, or from the warehouse, you know, delivering from the, something to the warehouse, or like that last bit to actually get it into the pause and, and get a reader to take it home with them is tricky, because I guess what publishing would have to do is create some sort of third entity that's trustworthy mm-hmm. that people would, you know, Oprah. Right. You know, if you if you could summon Oprah out of a hat that worked for PRH, that's kind of the ideal. But they can't and won't do that. I think for reasons that are human, right? Like, how sure. would you even do that? Uh, uh, right, it would be very difficult to do. It's yeah, it's difficult. You can't just generate the like the credibility and the likability and that feeling of relating mm-hmm. to someone um, out of yep. thin air. And I, you know, I think. Like we have sort of anecdotal evidence about it from our show and from like all the books and from Get Booked is I will hear, and I think you've heard this too, that like people who have listened to our show for a long time have a sense of who we are. And if we talk yes. about, like if you and I have read the same book and have differing opinions on it, someone who listens to the show has a sense of like, oh, I'm typically more like Rebecca as a reader, mm-hmm. or I'm typically more like Jeff. And so whichever way one of us falls on that title we disagree on, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. going to know. Or like the all the books listeners very often like read the things that I recommend or the things that Liberty recommends. And there's not Mm -hmm. a a ton of crossover is a really Mm -hmm. like, and Liberty and I are just very different readers. So that makes sense to me, but that like that feeling that, you know, where the recommendations are coming from and you can relate them to your own preferences in some way is a thing that can't be faked. Um, And publishers, I, I'm not sure how well they've learned that lesson or internalized it yet, but I think that they are finding that. Um, and then when, yeah. when Oprah, who people feel like they know and can relate to rolls out and says that she likes a book or like this proliferation of celebrity book clubs that we're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, if you know something about Emma Watson, you might trust her to pick some books for you. If you know something about Andrew Luck, um, you might trust mm-hmm. him to pick some books for you. It's just a thing that is kind of magic. It's just a thing that we can't do with technology yet. And it is that like conversion, like mm-hmm. not in the religious sense, but that like purchase conversion moment of you've discovered the titles. People tell you about books all the time. If you're a reader looking for books, you see books everywhere. Um, but deciding to pick one up over others is sort of that like critical moment. And some of it is a consequence of the staggering abundance, uh, at least in the U S of books that, uh, of, uh, if, if you like to read books and reading a books is part of how you think about yourself in a, in, in a serious part of what you do with your time, we all know that we're not going to get to all the books we'd like to read. So it's, it's not even a matter. It's not for us. It's not a problem of finding something we're going to like. It's among the things we're going to like, what are we going to pick among that, which is a different problem Mm -hmm. than what these readers seem to be 
expressing, which is there's so much and I have no idea even where to go next. It's almost like going to a restaurant. You know, you've picked Mm -hmm. the restaurant and you pick up the menu and you see that like, you know, maybe there's 10 dishes on the menu and sometimes you still want the server to recommend something. Right, yeah. It's like, and that's well, not picking good? from tens of thousands of books that are available on Amazon, mm-hmm. just as an example. Right. Um, and you look like, what do you like? What's good? They tell you a little bit more about it. And sometimes that's enough. I guess I guess the I was trying to think about this the other day when I because we first we were gonna record on Friday and this wouldn't have made it into last week's show, so I had a few days to think about this. I guess sort of the fantasy in terms of getting book recommendations is someone who you know, who also knows you, mm-hmm. that will just periodically recommend things they would think you would like without being asked. Because what we do on this show, you know, twice a year, what Get Book does, those are specific questions, right? And they people have to tell us a little bit about them or their situation to get a recommendation that's even, you know, close mm-hmm. to the mark. The, the, the kind of most exciting book recommendations to me are someone who knows me and I know them. Yep. And they say, I just read this book and I thought of you. I think you would like it. Like yep. that's kind of the dream, mm-hmm. right? It is. And that's like, I think an experience that all readers have had at least, I, I hope, at least once. Like when it works really well with a bookish friend. Because it it's great. Like you and I do this, you know, like yes. I read this thing. I think it will ring your bells in this, like in these certain ways. It's going to do this mm-hmm. thing you really like. Um, or we were talking about what was it, the library at Mount Char offline oh, yeah, the other day, right, and yes. I was like, Jeff, would I like that book? And you're like, Well, you like interesting messes, so probably. <laughs> well, and I read um, uh, Our Souls at Night by Kent Haruf yeah. last week, and I was like, Rebecca, have you read this? Because you would like this. He's like, I already read it, loved it. So yeah. like, you know, like that's the kind of thing where if you know somebody and they know you, you can get. I guess more of an organic recommendation that's not the result of being prompted, which is fine. I mean, mm-hmm. that's better than nothing. Well, it certainly can be very good. And but it's, like, a, it's an agendaless recommendation too, right? Yes, like it's right. just about, I think this is a book for you. There's no sales agenda connected to it. When it's a friend or they're just sharing something that they think you'll like, there's hopefully no like sort of social cachet agenda attached to it either. Like I'm right. not, I'm not recommending. Oh my God. Have you read infinite Jeff? Exactly. Please. It's not like All Jeff, right. I need you. I think you would really like this book because I need you to read it <laughs> and see that it's amazing and then be impressed right. with how smart I am for having read it. You know, <laughs> Like yeah. it's that sort of genuine that there's nothing underlying the recommendation, I think, but I read this. I think you'll like it because I know these things about you and this book will do that thing. Um, because and, even the thing you're describing that publishers can't do that, you know, happens on Get Booked or happens at an independent bookstore is not that. Right? I mean, I guess you can cultivate a relationship with a bookseller over time, but boy, that's hard and it doesn't scale for the bookseller. Like, right. it's because everyone doesn't do it that some people can do it. Of They know the readers well enough to, you know... I, it, it might, you know, tell us, tell podcast at bookride.com if you're a bookseller or you're a book buyer at a bookstore of any kind where do you have a relate, does anyone out there have a relationship with a buyer or a, a seller in which the thing happens where they just pull something aside for you and wait for you to come in unbidden? Is that, is that something that's, that happens out there in the wild? I'd love to know that. Um, I, I think I've said before on the show that sort of my, my dream product, you know, like the stitch fix, stitch fix for books thing, I think mm-hmm. someone could figure out. I don't, I don't know. It would be hard to do, and I don't know what you would charge for it, but like, we have basically a, what do they call it in Stitch Fix? A uh, stylist? Oh, is yeah. That what it you is? have a stylist and like a style profile. 
Yeah. And you give them feedback too, right? Or right. am I just imagining? Yeah, how no, this no. Works? You do so, like you sign up, and it shows you like five different kinds of outfits that are that mm-hmm. each represent a different style. It's like, are you preppy? How much do you like these outfits? Are you uh, kind of edgy? How much do you like these mm-hmm. outfits? So you start with some initial rankings, and then it's like, do you want books that are in or clothes that are in your <laughs> usual style, or do you want us to yes. branch you? Do you want to try to be kind of? edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they send you things and you tell them like, I'm keeping this skirt because X, Y, Z I'm sending back this dress because of these other reasons. And then your next fit. The idea is that each successive fix is a tighter and tighter fit to what you're looking yeah, for. They're kind of honing in on exactly. what you're looking for. Yeah. Refining. Yeah. yeah. And the, what, the reason that works for clothes, I guess, is that the markup on clothes is insane. Mm-hmm. Right. That it's, it's the, I mean, even more than, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, you know what it costs to actually print a hardcover? Well, clothes, do you know what it actually costs to make, <laughs> make that $200 a pair, of jeans. <laughs> pair of jeans? Like, ugh. Oh. Uh, and so that you can put in, there's more margin to work with to get someone to do all that, I guess, intellectual labor yeah. of thinking about it and choosing and, you know, all, all that kind of thing where in books that'd be a little bit different. But I guess that would be something where you could come out or uh, uh, what's it called? Productize. Mm-hmm you know, the relationship we imagined, because that would be cool. Um, I think that's something people would do if they felt like they actually were known because that's the other part someone they knew is only part of it, but that somehow someone they knew they're really only kind of <sighs> recommendations for someone they know. Cause like they, they know Oprah, like I'm just using Oprah to go up two levels. They know Oprah sort of, you know, they know what the public persona of, of Oprah is, and then they filter the recommendations of Oprah based on their own predilection, right? It's not right. really a input-output situation. It's all output that the, mm-hmm. the recommendee has to parse in some way. But, yeah, I guess it's the relational recommendation transaction that is the ideal. Like, they know something about you, you know something about them, and that you're doing matching in a little bit more of an interesting way. The other night there's, but that's, so that's 26% of people said if they would read more, if they received book recommendations from someone they knew and th- third said they struggled to find a book they really liked. So only, so 9% of people struggle to find books they really like, but wouldn't read more if they re- So that's a weird, I don't know one mm-hmm. out of those 10 respondents. I'm not <laughs> sure exactly what they're looking for here. Uh, any other the stats? We, we did a deep dive on that particular, that, and that's the one I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about, but is there anything else here you thought was interesting, was interesting or oh, worth I always think it's in validating detail? and interesting when polls ask about lying about what we've read and, yeah. and this one does. And it's, uh, about 41% of respondents here said that they would stretch the truth about what they've read. Men were the biggest culprits. Um, one in five admitted that they'd lie about their reading habits in order to impress in a job interview, which is interesting. I wonder how that scenario came up. But other top scenarios for stretching the truth uh, about what you've read were on a date, when meeting your in-laws, and in social media profiles. Um, and apparently millennials were most likely to stretch the truth. 64% of 18 to 24-year-olds um, admitted to fibbing about books that they've read, including 25% claiming to have read Lord of the Rings when they had only watched the film. <laughs> you know, that number seems low to me. Actually. It does. Well, I mean, is I think that's kind of a rule of thumb about like people lie on everything. And then if yep. you and then the number of people who admit to lying is always lower than the number of people who right. have actually lied. Um, but we've we've done some studies, not studies, but like reader surveys, surveys around yeah. this um, at Book Riot too. And I just usually ask the question with the assumption that everyone has an answer to it of like what books have you lied about mm-hmm. reading <laughs> and no one yet you know, has been like how dare you i would never 
I can support that 64% of 18 to 24 year olds with my own anecdata. So it must be true. <laughs> but when I was teaching, you know, I, and I don't know if it's something about college freshmen, it must be, especially where, and maybe it was where I was teaching where, you know, at, at, at those days, Columbia and New York. And I think just, you know, your kids, 18 year olds in English classes, you're anxious about what you've read. And they, mm-hmm. they were all very anxious that they were going to be at like, some cocktail party yeah, somewhere someday. Dinner parties that don't actually And someone's going to ask them about, uh, you know, the sun also rises. And they're going to be like, uh, and then like be ostracized. Right. Uh, there's, the, there's the anxiety. And the, I guess that lying is also a cofactor of anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Right. You know, that, that's one of those reasons they're lying. It's, it's no surprise on a date, in-laws or social media profiles. Like there's a lot of anxiety built up around those. And using... Uh, you know, that you've read Catch-22 as a buttress against that terror. I, I totally understand. Um, so that's that's a good one, too. We better do our next sponsor. Yes. You know, Audible is back. We've been waiting, actually, for Audible to come back because we haven't been able to talk about audiobooks recommendations in a long time. Yeah, I'm ready. So I have we'll a get list. To, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so speaking of finding time to read and reading more, with Audible, you get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to get on the go. Their app is free, works on iPhones, iPads, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. With Audible, you own your books. You can access your books at any time, anywhere, right from your smartphone. And they have the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you weren't happy with for another title anytime. No questions asked. I've done this before myself. It's easy. You can all do it on the website. You don't got to call anybody. You don't have to talk to a human. You don't have to give a reason. You don't have to say the dog ate my audiobook. None of that stuff. You just like click a button, you get your credit back, and you can use it right away. You don't have to do a waiting period. There's nothing else like that. Um, so let's talk about some of our favorites. What have you listened to lately? You're on like a tear I've, of books. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on pace to have one of my all-time reading years. And my audiobook cadence hasn't changed that much. It's that I've spent more time just reading um, print. Some of it's figuring out a library workflow. Anyway, that's all beyond the scale of this. <sighs> you know, it's a good, it's a good question. I was I, I'm trying to keep myself to one, and it's I don't know if it's the best one I've read recently, but I really enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it. SPQR by Mary Beard, um, and it's about the Roman Empire, uh, an overview of what we talk about when we talk about the Roman Empire. And probably like a lot of you out there, you know, I'm a well-read guy, I'm a pretty well-educated guy, but there are kind of, there are kind of uh, holes in my education. And I could tell you some stuff about Rome, but once I got off my first or second index card about the Roman Empire, I'm out. I'm done. I, you know, I can't, I can't tell you. And so what Mary Beard does at SPQR, it's, it's not an academic work. It's meant for, um, you know, a, a broader readership that's interested in history is talk about the different eras of Rome and what life was like and who was important and who did what and what was the difference between Octavius and Augusta and what was, you know, what was Nero doing and how was the Roman Empire set up and what were the wars like and what was like if you were a woman, what was like if you were a slave. And I just thought it was a fascinating book because um, even in my literary, you know, most of what I know about history is, is framed through literature. And really, I only had to teach Augustine and uh, Virgil which is a particularly weird, I mean, Virgil's like at the end, basically. Uh, well, no, that's not really true. It's at the end of a certain era, but it's, it's one particular slice. And Augustine is about the, the Christian, the, the move towards Christianity, which is also not representative of the Roman uh, thing. So I, I thought it was great. It's pretty long, but I, I'm sort of tipping our heads to, you know, moms, dads, and grads. If you've got someone on your list that likes history, 
um, and maybe that only reads, you know, or predominantly reads military history. This has that in it, but it has a lot of other social stuff in it too. Um, and a much more modern take of how to do history. So that might be a nice, you know, kind of a wedge book. Like if you're only reading about, you know, World War II battles and stuff, you might, there's enough war, how things were put together, but you also get some other really interesting stuff about language and literature and arts and economics. Really good. Um, I, I was blown away. I have to say blown away. So that's mine. I did a lot of that. So you give me one. <laughs> I have two. But I'll be I'll do two okay, two. quick okay, ones. Two. Okay. Uh for like they're both really fun and for going into spring. Um I finally listened to Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher a couple of weeks ago. And as a latecomer to Star Wars, as in I only saw it for the first time mm. like a year and a half ago, um, I don't really know anything about her or her life. And so I was coming to this memoir, like just wanting to, you know, spend time listening to a funny, thoughtful, smart person. Uh, and that's exactly what it was. She goes uh, into her family's background. She talks really openly and honestly about her um, mental health and mental illness, um, which I've given to understand since then are things that she was, you know, very open, uh, openly talking about through a lot of her career and was sort of a an icon for being a, one of the first like big people in Hollywood to talk about substance abuse and to talk about mental health and about you know the dis- dysfunction of having famous parents and uh, so there's all of that. It's very substantial in that way, um, but also just fascinating and very funny. Um, she is just such a personality, or was such a personality. It was a lot of fun to drive around listening to her for several hours talk about mm. her life and like who else's mom is Debbie Fisher? You know who else like spent time sitting in a closet full of sequined gowns and thinking about her mother's like romantic uh, relationship. It was just so strange and interesting. And she seemed to really have a great distance and perspective on her life and how strange and interesting and unusual it was. So that was a lot of fun. You don't need to know anything about Star Wars or Carrie Fisher to enjoy it. Um, I'm evidence of that indeed. And uh, more like a couple of months ago, but I, I don't think I've gotten to talk about it on this show. I loved Born a Crime by Trevor Noah Mm. um, about his childhood growing up in South Africa. Um, during apartheid, he is biracial, and so his very existence was illegal. And he talks about what his mother had to go through to like they would. He's lighter skinned than his mother is, and so they would have to like go out with a lighter skinned person, and his mother would walk behind them as if she were the family's maid, um, rather than be seen in public as his parent because it was dangerous. Um, but just his also his childhood, uh, gradually understanding what his racial identity meant to him. And and the book ends before he becomes like the comedian Trevor mm. Noah who hosts The Daily Show. It ends well before that, um, which I really appreciated. Like this is just an interesting life that has a story that deserves to be told. And it's not that his life is interesting because he's famous. Like this would be an interesting memoir if you had never heard of Trevor Noah before. Even if, you know, if he were never a famous person, this is still a really great story. He reads it himself. And there are some really, really funny moments that I like had to I, like pull over laughing out loud and then text someone about like, oh my God, the poop story. Um, so if you're looking for something a little bit lighter, but also very substantial, he goes into some big issues as well. And um, I really liked that. So there's a twofer. Good. All right. So here we go. Uh, go to audible.com slash book riot to try, get a free trial at audible, audible.com slash book riot. To start now, turn walking to the dog. Turn walking the dog into the biggest adventure of the day. Oh, I like that. All right, let's do one more story. We got okay. a lot, but we 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 did we did more. I think we have to do this story, which is 
HBO, yes. speaking of TV, is making a Fahrenheit 451 movie starring Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon. Oh my gosh, I'm so uh, excited. I, I, wa- I worried about you when I saw this, <laughs> this, this breaking. I was ghost uh, emoji for a minute. L- long, time, long time listeners of the show will know that Fahrenheit 451 is very important to Rebecca. Um, also, both you and I are Michael B. Jordan fans. Yes. I know that. And Michael uh, Shannon. I love him so much. And Michael Shannon fans. Yeah, for sure. Um, really interesting. This is going to be so good. Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. will play Guy Montag, who's the firefighter who, if you know, in the world of the book, uh, is responsible for going into homes that are hiding books and destroying them. And then he has a big existential crisis about that. And Michael Shannon is going to play his boss. Baby. Mm. Um, this is being adapted by Francois Truffaut and Man. No, no, he adapted oh. it already. Oh, right. It, that okay. was the 1966. Correct. Version, that yeah. is correct. I got too excited <laughs> reading yeah. this. Um, man, I am so Directed excited. Directed by Ramin Barani. Um, okay. It's a name I don't know, so that's interesting to know as well. We were griping, I mean, we were griping about the fragmentation of where we have to spend $10 a month to get stuff. The, the upside of that, though, is we get stuff like this, that we are and, getting a Handmaid's Tale adaptation, that we are getting yes. an interesting and, uh, version of Fahrenheit like, 451. So we shouldn't grinch too much, I no, guess. No, the time is right and ripe yep. for a, a new Fahrenheit 451 adaptation. Tech, the technology we have now will make it a lot easier to convey the world that Bradbury mm-hmm. imagined, I think, um, than what the old movie did I remember now watching that old movie like in my freshman year of high school English class? Um, I I could not be more excited about this. I don't think I love Michael Shannon in these roles. She was like born to be bosses in dystopian future, and, like, but like tortured bosses with <laughs> yes, moral yeah, crises, right. you know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, His face is a moral crisis. It really it, it is. Really, it looks, is. He just looks like this. I'm I'm so ready. I'm like I, that's all I've got. I'm so excited. I the day that this story yeah I don't know what out, to say except Bob to sort came, of like yeah Bob came home from work it. and I was like there's gonna be a Fahrenheit 451 movie and then I just made noises about it for like ten <laughs> minutes and he was like okay great well it does seem you know Handmaid uh, this well Handmaid's Tale has a I think it's not as old as but like I think a lot of these you know proto science fiction influential dystopian I don't know, just books from the 50s and 60s that were made into movies then are ready to be redone. Like, we should get another 1984. Yeah. Like, we should get another Catch-22. Like, we just, we should just, we should just, right? I mean, these are books kind of like the Iliad or uh, the Odyssey or Hamlet that, you know, every 20 to 30 years, we should just take, we should take another crack at them, Mm -hmm. I think. Well, and I think especially books that feature imaginings of what future technology will look like those adaptations get more and more interesting as our real technology to convey them Mm -hmm. gets that way like bradbury this central piece in fahrenheit 451 is that these families all have screens that take up entire walls of their home that convey Mm -hmm. their entertainment but also like messaging from the government and we're not so far from screens that take up entire walls of our homes or that we like moderate our have you been in costco recently right like you, you can't 
can't buy a TV that's that's smaller than two thousand inches. Well, we uh, moderate wide. and mediate our whole lives through screens yeah. that take up tons of space, and it's the kind of thing where, it, like, oh right, that's going to be really interesting when you see the twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen version of what Bradbury imagined on yeah. TV. I am only sad that Ray Bradbury is no not with us to like advise on this. Yeah. Um, it's, Though in a way, it's also freeing. I mean, yeah. that you don't have to really worry about what, I mean, what the books, Dan, like you and I both, I believe we've talked about this before, that these things can't do damage to the book. It, they just, the books themselves will, they'll be all right. Uh, oh. Even if it's a bad adaptation. And speaking of um, The Handmaid's Tale adaptation, one more time on the show, one of you all who listens tweeted to me that Hulu was doing like guerrilla marketing at the LA Times Festival of the Book this week. Mm -hmm. They had a bunch of women dressed as handmaids marching in single file through the festival. And if you would approach one of them, they would turn to you and hand you a card that just had the uh, Nolite Te Bastardis Carborundorum printed on it. Yeah, I did a post about they were doing the same thing at the Austin Book Festival. Texas Book Festival Mm -hmm. in Austin. I wrote a post for the site about that really kind of disturbing and amazing viral guerrilla marketing. Yeah. Um, slash political protest. Um, that better be our show. We we don't want to get out of here before mentioning Book Ride Insiders again. Uh, I, I'd say that we are a little bit surprised by the velocity of people <laughs> joining at the top level, the epic level, which includes um, participating in, a, in an insiders-only Slack. Um, it's capped at 250 people, and right now there's only about 40-some-odd spots left if you want to take a shot at that. You might want to go check it out, um, insiders.bookriot.com. There's also uh, two other levels that aren't quite so expensive where you get the beautiful new release index, um, which Alex and Scott, our, our designer and developer, put together under Rebecca's uh, you know, tutelage. Or like, here's what the tool we want to try to make. What can they do? And they came up with something really amazing. It's and then really Liberty awesome. is feeding the beast on a regular basis. So you can scroll. You, know, you can see what books are coming out by a given week. Um, at a glance, you know, and there's it's cover based. So you see, you look at all the cover, you click on the cover, and you can see what it's about. So you can see what Liberty's interested, what we're interested, what you might be interested in there too. Also, at the novel level, that's five dollars a month or forty nine dollars a year. The Read Harder podcast is just for for insiders there as well. Um, two podcast episodes a month about Read Harder challenge tasks, um, hosted by Josh Corman and Sharifa Williams, which is also really excellent. Oh, it's so good. And, and all the levels include, you know, uh, uh, a regular newsletter from us about insider stuff going on behind. So go check out insiders.bookwrite.com. If you want to try that epic level, it may probably by this time next week they're going to be filled, which is, is crazy to say. We weren't anticipating it going that fast. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, what do we We were talking about um, Our Souls at Night on mm-hmm. Slack this week. Uh, there was – people have been talking – you know, people have been doing a lot of crosstalk about – all sorts of stuff. Uh, we have regular events in Slack. Um, we're going to have a monthly happy hour for listeners of this show with us. Get booked. Um, we had an audiobook recommendation hour. We had comic book recommendation hour this week. Really active and vibrant. Um, amazing. I think beyond our dreams for what the actual community is doing to and with each and for each other in that Slack. Is that fair? Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, one of okay. the like one of the like 
tiny interactions that I saw happen this week was, um, since I can't stop talking about yoga, um, we were talking about <laughs> Everybody Yoga by Jessamine Stanley in the All the Books channel, um, which is a book that's really geared toward, like, there's not a look for yoga. You don't have to have a certain body. Um, anyone can access the benefits of yoga. And two listeners who both have MS started talking to each other about um, how discovering yoga and, like, you know, finding mm. out that yoga is not just, like, skinny women in tight pants as the internet would have you believe, um, has helped them improve their health and well-being and dealing with the side effects of their disease. And like that like tiny moment was just one of the moments of things of like, look at these readers connecting with each other and talking about books, but also talking about these bigger pieces of our lives and getting to know each other. It, it feels so good to be over there. Yeah. The, the, missed, the, one, the interaction I missed, but you, you DM'd me about was one of the reader, one of the insiders was in Barnes & Noble looking yes. for a book and like posted in Slack that they were, and then got like a flurry of recommendations. Right, I was like, what and, should I know. read? Right. So that was really cool. One last internal sort of thing is, um, you've got a few more days after this show's released. We'll probably record on Thursday for, uh, getting ready for our mom's dad's grad's summer reading recommendation show. You're looking for a book for you, someone else, tell us a little bit about what you're looking for and we'll get back at you. That show coming out, um, email us at podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, all the show notes now you can find at bookwrite.com uh, slash listen and navigate to the show, but also they're just in the show notes. So just check out your podcatcher, however they display there. Um, you can find all the links and our sponsors to uh, St. Death, to Audible, to Bookwrite Insiders, all the links to the show. Um, you're going to want to check out the full story from Atlas Obscura about the 24 hour, or the emergency room bookstore in Amman, Jordan. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, have a good one.